beginning in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Pray with me. Father, this is our prayer this morning, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts by your grace, by your spirit, through the word, that you would give us spiritual sight and spiritual understanding. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Recently, I've enjoyed rereading The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, and Holmes, of course, being the incredibly gifted detective that he is with his powers of observation, can know all sorts of things about strangers, about people he's never met, people he's never even seen before, just with one glance, just by looking at them. It happens in every episode. For instance, a woman comes into his office, a woman he's never met, and Holmes' first words are, How do you manage to type all day with your short sight? And she says, how could you possibly know that? He says, well, it's easy. I saw the lines in your wrists from where they rest on the typewriter. And I saw the dent in your nose from where your reading glasses pinch. Oh, okay. There's even one episode where Holmes picks up a hat on the street, a hat of a man he's never even met. And he can know all sorts of things about this man just by looking at the hat. He knows that the man is wealthy because it's an expensive hat, but that he's fallen on hard times because the brim is curled. He knows his hair color, his hairstyle, his personality, his job, the state of his marriage, all sorts of things just by looking at this hat. And Holmes' companion, Dr. Watson, of course, never, never ceases to be amazed, and he's always asking, how did you do it? How did you know? And then once Holmes explains it, Watson always says, of course, It's so obvious, but how did you do it? How did you see it? My eyes are just as good as yours. I'm seeing exactly the same thing you're seeing. How did you do it? And on one occasion, to answer that question, Holmes points Watson to the staircase in their hall and asks Watson, how many times have you seen that staircase? Hundreds of times. Well, then how many stairs are there? I have no idea. And Holmes replies, exactly. That's because though you have seen, you have not observed. If you had really seen the staircase, you would know how many stairs there are. You see, but you have not observed. In other words, you see, but you don't really see. 
And the Bible tells us that we are exactly like Watson before the staircase, that it's possible for us to see, but not really see. Listen to what God tells the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6. Go and say to my people Israel, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not see. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. And this passage from Isaiah is quoted all through the Bible as being fulfilled in successive generations of God's people. Ezekiel, son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not. Ears to hear, but hear not. Jeremiah, hear, O foolish people who have eyes, but see not. Ears, but hear not. Jesus himself applied it to his own generation. It's in all four Gospels. Hearing, they do not hear. Seeing, they do not see. What's the Bible talking about? The Bible speaking not of a lack of physical sight, but a lack of spiritual sight, a lack of spiritual understanding. The Bible is saying that we can be constantly surrounded by the gospel hundreds of times and yet still be blind to it. That we can hear the gospel hundreds of times yet still not truly grasp it. That we can know a lot about the gospel, hundreds of things, but not really know it. We see, but we don't really see. A lack of spiritual sight, a lack of spiritual understanding. To use the language of this passage this morning, the eyes of our hearts are blind. And that's how the Bible speaks of salvation, of opening blind eyes to see the gospel. Second Corinthians 3, the minds of unbelievers are blinded, kept from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of of Christ. And that's what Jesus said that he came to do, to recover the sight of the blind. You see that in his earthly miracles. When he heals the physically blind, it's a picture of how he heals the spiritually blind. One fascinating miracle is recorded for us in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus encounters a blind man and he spits on his eyes and he lays his hands on his eyes and then he asks the man, can you see? And the man replies, I can see, I see men, but they're like trees walking. In other words, his vision is blurry. He doesn't quite see everything clearly. And then Jesus lays his hands on the man's eyes again and asks, now do you see? And he replies, yes, now I see everything clearly. And that's how we are as believers. That's how Jesus restores our spiritual sight. For those whose eyes have been opened to the gospel our vision is still a little blurry. We don't quite see everything clearly. We fail to see the fullness of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Sometimes Christ isn't real in our lives. He seems distant and far away. He's not very attractive to us sometimes. We have fears about the future. We have doubts Intellectual doubts about the faith, doubts about God's promises being fulfilled in your life, doubts about His love in your life. And sometimes life can just be dull. Living the Christian life seems like going through the motions. It can just have this indifference. There's a lack of motivation to know Him better. Our vision is still blurry. We don't quite see everything clearly. And that's why Paul prays for believers in this passage, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that Jesus would come this morning and lay His hands on the eyes of your hearts and give spiritual sight 
and spiritual understanding. And so I want you this morning to make Paul's prayer in this passage your prayer personally. And I want us together as the body to make it our prayer corporately, that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that he would open our eyes, give us spiritual sight, spiritual understanding. And we'll take this in two parts from our passage. First, we'll look at how are we made to see? How is it that our vision gets clearer? How are our eyes opened? And then we'll look at what is it that we are made to see? What is it that's becoming clearer to us? What are our eyes open to see? So how and then what? First, how are we made to see? How does God bring spiritual sight and spiritual understanding? Look at verse 17. Spiritual sight, first, is a gift of grace from God. It's a gift of grace. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That he may give you spiritual sight, spiritual understanding is unearned. It's not something that you can get on your own. It's not something that you can merit before God. It's a gift of grace. Because remember what the Bible says about the eyes of our hearts. That they're blind. And it's helpful to remember that heart in the Bible is not, typically as we think of heart today, primarily associated with feelings. In the Bible, the heart is more than that. The heart is the core of who you are. The heart is the whole of your inner life. It's all your feelings, thoughts, and desires. All your emotions, intellect, and will. The heart is the center of your intellectual and spiritual knowledge and understanding. It's it's who you are. And the Bible devastatingly says that the eyes of our hearts are blind. Why? Because the eyes of our hearts look not to God who created the world, but to the created things in the world. Our hearts are constantly centered on other things rather than God. Financial security. Pleasure, food and drink, a relationship, entertainment, achievement, power in a career, being well-liked, having a good reputation. All these things are good things. They're even good gifts from God. But when you are looking to them for your ultimate hope and your ultimate joy and your ultimate strength, the Bible says you're blind. You're blinded because you're kept from seeing the true light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. And it follows that if our spiritual condition is really blindness, then we can't heal ourselves of that condition. It has to be a gift of grace from God. Now, this may raise a question for some of you. It's raised a question for me. I've often asked in my own life, if spiritual sight, understanding, is all by grace, it's a gift from God, then what do you do if you don't have it? Are you simply stuck? How do you get something that only God can give? How can you attain something that it says is only by grace? John Piper puts it this way. The Bible commands us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Commands us. And then the Bible also says that fixing our eyes on Jesus is a gift. So how can we follow a command that's a gift? How can we do something that only God can do? How can we get something that only God can give? Now, this sermon this morning is not on the mystery between God's 
sovereign control and our responsibility. It's not about the mystery of his working in ours, thankfully. I just raised that question this morning to say that that's exactly why Paul prays for it. That's why he's asking God for it, because only God can give it. Piper says, knowing that spiritual sight is a gift of grace should set us to praying as never before. And not just intercessory prayer. The Bible commands that. That's a a wonderful thing to lift up your needs before the throne and to lift up the needs of others. But is your prayer life full of prayers like these? Lord, open my eyes to see Jesus. Lord, let Jesus be real to me. He's not right now. Lord, let Jesus be attractive to me. Let me experience Him in my life. And God is faithful to answer that prayer if you pray it. Spiritual sight is a gift, so ask Him for it. Secondly, how are we made to see? Spiritual sight comes by the Spirit. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know Him better. The Spirit. And if you think about it, praying for a gift of grace is ultimately a prayer for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because... The Holy Spirit's the greatest gift that God can possibly give you. That's what Jesus meant when he said, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Father is the giver of all good gifts of our daily bread, of the rain, of the sunshine, but the greatest gift He can give you is the Holy Spirit. And this is a prayer for the Spirit who already dwells in the church, already dwells in the believers, to be poured out in greater measure in areas of your life that He's never come before. Ask Him for it this morning. How are we made to see? A gift of grace by the Holy Spirit through the Word. How does the Spirit work? He works through the Word. Verse 17, He's the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. The wisdom and revelation of God's Word. God opens our eyes, gives us spiritual sight through the Word. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the Word freely given us by God, taught by the Spirit. When we read those passages from the prophets earlier, you may have noticed the connection between seeing and hearing. Hear, but do not hear. See, but do not see. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. The connection between seeing and hearing. Seeing spiritually comes from hearing the Word of God. Spiritual sight comes by hearing the Word. Hearing the Word In your own personal study, that hearing of the Word that brings spiritual sight doesn't just come from rushing through a passage or skimming through a reading. It comes as you meditate on the Word. It comes as you reflect on the text. It comes as you groan over the meaning of a passage when you ask questions of the text. Say, Lord, how does this text point me to You? How does this point me to my sin? How does this text point me to Jesus? Asking those questions of the text groaning over the Scriptures. And that's when the hearing comes that brings spiritual sight. The importance of hearing the Word of God taught and preached here on Sunday mornings. The importance of speaking the Word to each other in our daily conversations. Spiritual sight comes through 
the Word. How are we made to see? A gift of grace by the Spirit through the Word. But then what is it that we are made to see? What is it that our vision is clearing to see? What is it that our eyes are being opened to? Verse 17, again, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. That you may know Him better. What does grace come into your life to do? What is the Holy Spirit all about? What is His job? What's the content of the Word? Him. Jesus Christ in the fullness of His glory and beauty and the shining light of who He is and what He has done in the Gospel. That's what our eyes are being opened to see. The light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ. And like a resplendent diamond with many different facets, the shining light of the Gospel of Christ is beautiful in its fullness. And yet it's beautiful in all of the many different facets too. There's so much to see. There's so much to take in. Caitlin and I, my wife, love to hike. And one of my favorite hikes that we've done is in Pisgah National Forest. It's a trail that takes you to three different waterfalls. Triple Falls, Hooker Falls, and then at the top is High Falls. And High Falls is a stunning waterfall. It's glorious. It's majestic in the fullness of its beauty. But as Caitlin and I spent several hours at the top of the waterfall, you begin to notice all the little details. You begin to notice all the little streams. And you begin to see how quickly this stream is moving or where this stream is divided by a rock or the different colors and shades from the sun's reflection and the pattern of the mist as it hits the bottom. And that's what the Gospel is like. When you look at all those little details, they're beautiful in themselves. And then when you pull back, and look at the whole picture, it becomes even more beautiful and more majestic. The Gospel is simple in its fullness and beauty. Jesus, death, His death, His resurrection, there it is. And yet there's so much to see. And then when you look again at the fullness of the beauty, it's even more beautiful, more majestic than it was before. And Paul, in this prayer, brings in three facets of this Gospel diamond. He brings in three streams of this gospel waterfall in his prayer. The first stream is hope. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now it's helpful to remember that hope in the Bible is not typically as we use hope today. We use hope to express something we would like to see happen, but we're not really sure if it's going to. We say, I hope... Our team has a good season. I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. I hope that the kids behave today. But the Bible uses hope in a much different way. It's not fearful expectation of what may or may not be true. It's confident anticipation of what you know to be true. It's knowing what awaits you. That's hope. And what is it that awaits us? What is it that awaits you as a believer? Your inheritance, Paul mentions it in verse 14. Your inheritance is what awaits you. You have the hope of a new heaven and a new earth with no more tears, with no more broken relationships, no more futility in work, no more injustice in the world. 
you have the hope of a resurrection body with no pain, no sickness, no disease, never to die. And you have the hope of Jesus himself that one day spiritual sight will become physical sight. That the, as the eyes of your hearts are looking to him now, one day you'll see him with the eyes, your physical eyes, face to face. Now, does that, does that seem unreal to you? It does to me sometimes. Does that seem far away? Does that seem distant? How can you have this confidence in your life that that's what awaits you? Verse 18, because it's the hope to which He has called you. Because God's the one doing the work. It's not up to you. It's up to God. If God is working in your life now, He will bring it to completion. Philippians 1, verse 6. Romans 8, verse 30. We see an unbreakable chain of God's work in the believer's life. Those whom He chose before the foundation of the world, He also called. Those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. There it is, start to finish. How can you be confident? Because it's God doing the work the whole way. Again, it's all of grace. The first stream, hope. The second stream Paul brings into this prayer is the riches. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, when you first read this, it seems like Paul is reinforcing his previous point. It seems like he's saying much of the same thing, that God would open our eyes to see our inheritance. But if you look closely, that's not what he's doing. Look at the pronouns that you may know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Not your inheritance, but His inheritance. That our eyes would be open to see God's inheritance. Not only do we have an inheritance, but God has an inheritance. And what are the riches that God inherits? What is His wealth? What is His treasure? What does He take delight in? His glorious inheritance in the saints. In you. You are His riches. You are adopted as a child of God because Christ became our brother. He took on human flesh. He became like us in every way except for sin. He so identified with us in His humanity that Paul in verse 17, can say that the Father is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Christ, who Himself is God, so identified with you that He can call His Father God along with us. And not only did He fully identify with us, but He took our place on the cross, taking God's judgment for sin that we deserve. For what? Because it would be an adventure? No. It was the greatest suffering anyone's ever experienced. Why did He do it? So that He could call you His brother and sisters. We sang earlier how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son. To what? To make a wretch. One who was blind. His treasure. How deep is the love of the Son that Christ, who Himself was rich, made Himself poor, not only so that you could be that rich, not only that you could be rich, but that you could become His riches. What can that do to your doubts about God's love in your life? Bring this stream 
of the gospel waterfall into your life. The Father gave His only Son. The Son went to the cross to call you His child, His brother and sister. Does that seem hard? Difficult? Of course it is. It's hard to begin to even fathom that kind of love. And that's why Paul brings in this last stream. Power. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know, verse 19, His incomparably great power for us who believe. It takes spiritual power. It takes strength to confidently anticipate eternal life. It takes spiritual power, strength, to fathom the depths of God's love. It takes power to resist temptation, to resist that sin that you go back to day in and day out and you can't seem to conquer. It takes spiritual power and strength sometimes just to even get out of bed in the morning. And that's why Paul heaps on the power words. Listen to verse 19. is incomparably great power. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ. He heaps it on. Why? Because it's not just any power. It's not just any strength. What power is it? What strength is it? It's resurrection power. It's resurrection strength. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every name that can be named. That very power is the, one, the same power that's in you as a believer. Have you ever prayed, Lord, give me strength? Give me strength for this day. I've prayed that a lot of times. This prayer goes beyond that. This prayer isn't, Lord, give me strength. This prayer is, Lord, help me to know the strength that's already mine, that already lives in me. And oh, by the way, that strength is the same strength that raised Christ from the dead. So you don't have to muster up your own strength. You can live in Christ's strength that's already won the victory. What can that do to your indifference? What can that do to your lack of motivation to know Him better? Deacons, that's the same strength that's in you as you look towards your ministry. The resurrection strength of Christ. How are we made to see? A gift of grace from God by Spirit through the Word. And what are we made to see? Or better, who are we made to see? Him, Jesus, hope to which you have been called. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparably great power for those who believe. And it needs to be said, this can be so unreal sometimes. This can be so difficult. You can't do this on your own. You need this prayer personally in your own life, but you need it corporately too. Think about it. The hope is one that we share together. God adopting you as His child means that He's adopted you into a family of fellow brothers and sisters. The Spirit indwells not just individuals, but the church as a whole. You need grace, Spirit, Word on Sundays, in small groups, over a meal, with a phone call, singing songs together. You need support. You need encouragement. You need connection 
to the body of Christ. And maybe some of you here this morning have never seen at all. You've never seen once the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The eyes of your hearts are completely fixed on the things of this world. Completely blinded. Maybe some of you this morning are just beginning to see for the first time. Some of you this morning, your vision may be especially blurred right now. Some of you may be seeing like you've never seen before. Wherever your heart is this morning, personally, together, bring these streams of the gospel waterfall into your life. Bring even just one that you may know the hope to which He has called you, that you would know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparably great power towards those who believe that you would know Him. Let's pray together. Father, that's our prayer. We pray it again. That you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. That we may know the hope to which you've called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in your saints. And the great power, the resurrection of power. The resurrection power of Christ for those who believe. That we may know you better this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.